Acts chapter 16 is where we're headed. So we're looking at a couple of different times in the Bible where God's people are imprisoned specifically and seeing what we can take away from that and apply it to our own lives. Last week we saw Jeremiah and talked about his preaching and his redeeming of the time and, and his testifying to those around him. We have a famous text this morning, a famous story. It's Acts 16, 16 through 40. Paul and Silas in a Philippian prison. Let me read it for us, and then we'll make a few comments. So here we go. It says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. <clears throat> then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, he ran in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, All right, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They've beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought, brought them out. They asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. I think there's a lot to learn uh, and a lot to challenge us in this text. And I hope that we um, just get excited by the example we see here. It's really one of the more famous stories in the book of Acts. And it, and it is a remarkable story. But I can't help but read this passage and, and really the rest of the book of Acts without at least at some point thinking to myself, you know, why isn't this really happening in my life on, on, on this kind of level? Or, or at least why isn't it, we don't see these sorts of things happening around us today? 
especially when we realize that the book of Acts is really meant to be open-ended on purpose because it's meant to continue as you and I walk the disciple road as the church and, and do God's work where he has placed us in, in every place around the world. We don't really see you know, this sort of you know, dramatic and dynamic outpouring of God's power happening in our city or in our nation. And, and throughout the book of Acts, you know, you know, yes, it was a very special time, but um, there seems to be a great difference between what we see in the book of Acts and what we sometimes experience here in our uh, country. Of course, we look outside of our own nation and we look outside of our own culture and we see all sorts of miraculous, you know, situations like this happening. You know, if you get Gospel Frasia's email newsletter, you see reports all the time of incredible things happening through the lives of Christians and people being delivered, demon-possessed folks like the girl in this story and, and those sorts of things. In other locations and through other organizations, we hear about God moving in more acts-like ways. And we're not looking for miracles. That's not the sign of, you know, necessarily of, you know, that's not the only way God works. That's not the only sign of God power. Um, but if we look at the, say, the third world or the persecuted church, and if we look at the book of Acts, and if we compare all of those things to kind of our sort of day-to-day -day living here in the States, um, it's different, to say the least. And so the question is, why is it so different sometimes? You know, why don't we really experience the kinds of things that the, the Christians in the book of Acts experience here? It's the same God, it's the same world, it's the same message, yet there seems to be sometimes a, a, a lack of the sort of dynamic outpouring of God's power in and through our lives because our lives don't necessarily seem to match up very well with the book of Acts. That's not always a, a, a bad thing. You know, there are plenty of times when in the book of Acts, we see the church existing and doing what we might think of as regular ministry, day-to-day, house-to-house, and things like that. But it's a question I think we should ask as we come to God's word and we see examples like this. Because when we look into the word of God and we see what Jesus promised us as his people, when we see the plan that he has laid out for us, uh, and, and then on top of that, we see examples of men like Paul and Silas and others in the New Testament, we have to come to the conclusion that the reason that things are so different uh, might be within us. The reason that we're not seeing you know, this sort of engagement with the world and interaction with you know, uh, uh, the lost and fallen world, it, it perhaps has to do with our willingness and our submission before the Lord, less than it does with God's activity. It's not that God said, well, I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff in the first century, and then I'm pretty much done doing that, and, uh, you know, every now and then I'll do something in India. You know, I don't really see that happening. I don't really see that displayed in the Bible. I don't really see that, you know, told to us in the Bible. And so perhaps we have to look not at God's activity, but we need to look within at our willingness and our submission before our Lord. Because in this prison account of Paul and Silas, we see men who were absolutely and unquestionably surrendered to the Spirit of God. And because of that, God glorified himself in very magnificent ways. It started, of course, at the beginning of the chapter here, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they're sailing around and they're trying to get into Asia. They're trying to get into Mycenae and they're trying to go all these other places. They've been sent out by God and they said, okay, well, where are we going to go? Uh, but the Holy Spirit forbids them, the text says. We don't even know exactly what, how that happened or, you know, if the Lord appeared to them or what, but we don't know exactly how that worked out. But they were in tune with God's leading 
and, and, and they were willing to allow the Lord to determine their next step, their next activity. And so as they're sailing around, they didn't force their way into a place that would have been more comfortable or more prominent or filled up with their key demographic. They understood that God was sending them, and they were content to not just be sent by God. Well, I'm a missionary. I'm going to be sent wherever I want to go. But they were, they were, they were content to be directed as well and, and content to be submitted to the Lord saying, Okay, no, I don't want you to go over here. I want you to go over here. And they were submitted to that. It's then, as they're sailing around looking for a place to go, that they receive the famous Macedonian call. And so Paul gets this vision. They head down to Philippi, and a church is established. Uh, we just finished a study through Paul's letter to the church that was started there after all of this happened, and they leave, and then he writes back. And that's when we come to our text this morning, as they've established this church in Philippi, and they're, they're, they're you know, preaching the word in the city. And for our purposes, I really want us to key in on two simple aspects that we see in these guys and their imprisonment. There, there are two things that they very powerfully demonstrate to us through this uh, whole situation. First, they had a willingness to suffer. And second, they had a vision to save. And to me, those are, are two of the key elements to living a life that is filled up by the Spirit of God like we see in the book of Acts. And so first of all, we need to notice their willingness to suffer. Because when you realize what's going on in this situation, you understand that at any point in this story, at any point from the moment they're dragged into the marketplace forward, Paul and Silas could have completely avoided this whole thing by uttering four little words. We are Roman citizens, and it would have been done. You, you can't bind a Roman citizen. You can't you know, uh, unlawfully try a Roman citizen. You can't beat a Roman citizen. You can't do any of the things that they did to Paul and Silas, and they were Roman citizens, and they could have completely avoided all of this suffering. That's it. One little sentence, and it would have all been done. That would have been the end of this story. The, the leaders of the city would have probably you know, dragged them to the edge of the city and asked them to leave, and then they would have been on their way. But interestingly, they kept that information to themselves, and they endured not only illegal injustices under the government, but great physical pain and torment. Uh, why? Because that's how the Spirit was leading them, and they were surrendered to the Lord. We know this because there's a time later in the book of Acts where Paul was about to be beaten yet again, and he stops him and he says, uh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, don't beat me. And they say, oh, whoa, we can't beat you then. You're, you're, not, you're not just some Jew like we thought you were. You're a Roman citizen. But here, with the same information and the same situation, Paul and Silas allow this to take place to themselves and because they were in tune with God and because they were willing to suffer. This, because of that, this incredible situation unfolds, and we'll see what the real results were in a moment. Now, as we turn and look within and look at our own lives and, and kind of try to evaluate, you know, how we walk the disciple road with Christ, we need to understand that we are obsessed with comfort in America. We're obsessed with safety and security and wealth and maintaining the status quo. And on a, on a human level, that's not a bad thing. And, you know, it's not wrong to lock your doors. It's not wrong to do any of that. But, you know, the, the obsession with personal comfort and personal security and personal wealth, that kind of thinking doesn't further the work of God. Because when we are focused on how comfortable or how stable or how wealthy or how secure we are, 
then our thoughts become inward instead of outward. And we start thinking about, man, it, it, how uncomfortable it is to suffer and how much easier it is to just fly under the radar, how much easier it is to just sort of live out our lives without any friction at all with the world or any you know, friction with you know, those who are in darkness and, and getting to that finish line at a nice, you know, steady, slow pace. But, you know, as we see in, in this situation, as we saw in Philippians, that's not discipleship. You know, Paul said, no, man, we're running, we're to run the race with abandon and we're, we're to just push, push, push on forward and, and just overcome these obstacles and, and run victoriously and all these other things that we talked about. And so the problem is when we avoid spiritually uncomfortable things as God's people or when we try to avoid suffering in our relationship with Christ, it's then that we're taking on the mindset of Jonah, the prophet. Jonah went the other way because he hated Ninevites, okay? But the bottom line was the same. You know, it's not that, you know, we see someone and the Lord says, well, go share the gospel with them. And, you know, most of the time it's not like, well, I hate people who wear, you know, you know, uh, I hate people who wear blue sweatshirts. I only wear brown sweatshirts. You know, Jonah hated the Ninevites. He was prejudiced against them. But the bottom line was the same. God has called us to specific people and specific places and specific opportunities. And he's told us in his word that preaching and serving and suffering are going to be a part of our lives here in the earth. But what we tend to do is get inward, 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 inward all the time. And we... Uh, lower the spiritual bar, as it were, the bar of ministry enough so that we can try to avoid all the suffering and all the sacrifice and all the discomfort of the Christian life. You know, we are, if we look in this text, I think sometimes I know in my life we're quick to pull the Roman citizen card. Hey, you can't do this. You can't say that to me. You, you, you can't ask me to do that. You can't do this stuff. I'm pulling my Roman citizen card so that there's no friction in life and so that we get back to our own lives undisturbed. Or maybe if we don't want to use the Jonah analogy, that's fine. He's kind of a deadbeat in his book. But maybe we're just a little bit more like John Mark sometimes. And I know that I can be this way. You know, I get to be a little bit more like John Mark back in Acts 15, just a chapter ago. John Mark had been on the mission field with Paul and Barnabas, but you know it was rough out there. People were getting beaten all the time. People were getting yelled at all the time. People were getting driven out all the time. It was very uncomfortable. It was very unstable, and it was scary. I mean, there's no, no, you know, there's no question about that. So at one point, the team, they're going around, and they get to this place called Pamphylia, the birthplace of the pamphlet, but they get to Pamphylia, and John Mark, John Mark says, you know what, you guys, I'm out, like, um, this is just too tough. I'm done. I'm pulling. I'm pulling the the zip cord. I'm 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 letting my parachute out right here. And he left. And in that moment, he decided that he'd rather just head back home and let other people do the rough stuff and the tough stuff. But he just wanted to be at home safe and kind of a more fly under the radar. I just want to exist. You guys can do that kind of stuff. I don't really want to hang in there for that. And if we're not careful, especially since we're surrounded by a culture that pounds us moment by moment, day in and day out about the fact that you're the most important person in the world and your wealth is the most important thing and your safety and security and comfort and luxury are the most important things. We're just bombarded by that all the time. And so as Christians, if we're not careful, this is what we end up doing. We think, you know, man, this is tough stuff. Hopefully someone will go out there and do this, but I'm pulling, I'm pulling the cord. I'm done doing this. And we start thinking that the Christian life is really about just having a comfortable existence and, and just not participating in immorality. And then every now and then, you know, if, 
if somebody wants to go and, and talk to some people in Troas, that's great, you know, but, you know, we kind of sink down a little bit lower. But what we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament is completely different than that sort of low level of spiritual thinking and spiritual living. It's completely different. And if we want to get deeper into God as Christians and into the kind of life that we're called to on the pages of Scripture, then we need to wrestle with our willingness to suffer. That's an incredibly key thing. Because these guys were willing to suffer, because they were willing to endure something that they did not have to endure, because they were led by the Spirit... A demon-possessed girl was delivered. An entire prison was evangelized. The keeper of the prison and his whole household were saved. And a brand new church was protected from a hostile city government. Uh, I, I mean, the, the dividends of this, of this endurance are incredible. Yes, the suffering that Paul and Silas endured was intense. But as we look back and as we see what God did through the situation, don't we think it was worth it? Don't we look back and we say, yeah, of course you've got to go into the dungeon. Of course you have to endure this stuff. You know, of course you're going to sit there in the darkness and sing to people because look at what God was going to do. Paul was willing to hold back his Roman citizen card because he knew that that's where the Lord was leading him. He, he followed the Spirit's leading even when it led them into a pitch-black dungeon. And the same Spirit is, is seeking to fill our lives and to lead our lives. Their feet were bound in these terrible stocks. In verse 33, we find out that they didn't even wash their wounds and their lesions that they were left with after their beating. The jailer had to do that, you know, uh, later the next day. But Paul and Silas were willing. They were willing because they had a vision to save others. And this picture is so wonderful. They're there sitting in this pitch black darkness of a Philippian dungeon. You know, the jailer had to call for a light so he could go see what was going on. But they're in the complete pitch black. They're immobilized in probably these ridiculously, you know, torturous, uh, you know, footstocks. Their backs are bleeding and broken and opened up. They're in, you know, this disgusting place. They're ministering to people they can't even see. You know, they can't even see the people around them, and they think, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this. Let, let's just minister. They're sitting there bleeding. They're just like, hey, let's, let's just do some singing. Let's do some sharing. Let's do some praying. Uh, and they were so surrendered to God that even when a miraculous earthquake opened the doors and broke their shackles, they still stayed in the prison. Now, this to me is a remarkable thing. To me, this is a perfect example of saying, yeah, I'm submitted to the Spirit, and I'm in tune with the Spirit. Because I would have thought that was a sign from God that it was time for me to leave. I mean, my shackles fell off, the doors opened, I'm here in an unjust situation. Yeah, I'm taking off. It worked for Peter. Peter was allowed to go. So, But this, you know, they're, they understood from the Holy Spirit that something else was going on. People were about to be saved. The local church was about to be built up in a remarkable way. You know, after all, once God gave Paul the okay to drop the Roman citizen bomb, those city officials, they just wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to let anybody else in the Roman government know what went down, you know, so that he wouldn't press charges, as it were, because they'd be in big, bad trouble if he did. And so they would leave this little group of Christians in this house of Lydia alone, of course, because they knew that Paul was going to be back and was going to be staying in contact with them. And so Paul and Silas, they had this vision to save those who were in spiritual darkness. And they understood that the work of sharing the gospel includes suffering. It's not optional, it's included. And they were filled up by the Spirit and they were directed by Him. And so all of these things were able to fall into place just as they should. And so this story is amazing. Um, but it's not necessarily meant to be uncharacteristic in our own lives. 
Uh, don't get me wrong, we shouldn't try to cause persecution or suffering. You know, Luke was here in Philippi, Timothy was here in Philippi. Those guys weren't imprisoned and beaten. Paul and Silas were. And so we see there that, you know, going out and being beaten, you know, finding someone to beat you up isn't what we're called to, you know. But having a submitted willingness to say to the Spirit, Lord, I'm going to go where you want me to go, and I'm going to uh, follow you no matter what that includes. Sometimes that includes you being beaten and imprisoned, as it were, being uncomfortable and, and having to sacrifice to a greater degree. And sometimes it doesn't. We don't know what was going on with Luke. Luke's the guy writing this. He's referring to himself in the first person. Timothy is with them as well. They didn't get dragged into the marketplace. This stuff didn't happen to them. For Paul and Silas, it did. Or you look back at Peter and James. They're both imprisoned at the end of one prison. James is beheaded. Peter's miraculously set free. And so we don't look for persecution. We don't look for suffering. But what we see in the Bible is that when God's people are being spirit-filled and spirit-led, when we are in tune with the Lord and his will, the result is always friction with the world. It always is. And I don't know about you, but honestly, there's just not a lot of friction in my life. And as I'm reading the book of Acts and reading through this passage, that's something that I want to deal with. I want to ask the Lord about. On one hand, I'm very thankful that there's not a lot of friction for my life, and we're not called to go out and make persecution for ourselves, not at all. But on the other hand, on a small level, it worries me just a little bit that maybe I'm more concerned with my own security and my own safety and my own wealth and my own comfort than I am with someone else's eternity. Because what we see is when a person is abandoned to the Lord and really has a vision to save those who are lost, the result is going to be friction with the enemy and with the world and with those around us. And that's something that I, I know I need to work through and wrestle with. Because the only way that this jailer and his family were going to be saved, the only way that this little church was going to be protected in this way, was through the terrible, unjust suffering of God's people. That was God's will. In that suffering, God was able to show how strong he is. That he controls the earth and the elements. That he is a God of long-suffering grace. That he is strong when we are weak that his people have nothing to fear, and that his gospel is the only real hope that matters. It was all only by Paul and Silas's suffering that this was accomplished in Philippi. You know, I want to love the Philippian jailers that are placed around me by the Lord. I want to love them more than I love my own comfort, and that's something that I need to deal with. I, I want God to take hold of my life so that I'm in tune with what he wants and, and what I should do so that he might be magnified through my life. I, I want to understand, you know, the Lord's strength in my life. And the Lord says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I have to be weak in order for the Lord to make himself strong. And so I have to take hold of the fact that those things that God wants to do, this work that he's called me to, it requires suffering. That's what the Bible says. And if I run from that, if I kick against that, if I settle for less spirituality for a little more security, then I am then taking on the mind of Jonah and John Mark. I want to be like Paul and Silas. That's what I want. I want to find satisfaction in Christ. I want to be unafraid and willing to suffer for Jesus. And I want to have a vision to save those who are moments away from eternity in hell. And so when the Lord brings me opportunities to minister or when the Lord allows some friction in my life, I need to purposely, willfully submit to that and not allow myself to run away from that. If that's what we want, then it's time for us to take up the life that Christ has explained to us in his word and then see where he takes us today. Sometimes he'll take us to the jail, and sometimes he won't. So let's see what the Lord wants to do and not run 
uh, from what he has for us. Amen.